Welcome to the Mechanics of Storytelling. In this podcast, we talk with different storytellers across various mediums about how they tell their stories in their chosen mediums, the mechanics, the techniques, and the processes. Welcome to the Mechanics of Storytelling podcast. I'm your host, Ezra Justin Lee. And today we have Ross Hartman. He's a founder and creative director of Kingo, which is a storytelling and screenwriting education site. They even have their own podcast, blog, consulting services. They do everything. So welcome, Ross. Thank you so much, Ezra. Yeah. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Did, did I say Kingo, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. I was I was wondering because like there's a pretty particular spelling and I wasn't sure, but where did that come from? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the short, it's not really a long story, I guess. It's kind of an amalgamation of um, creative and lingo. So creative lingo, Kingo. But mm. the other thing is the URL was available, which is okay. pretty important and it's fairly short. So yeah, mm. that kind of all comes together and, and works out. Yeah, all the pragmatics. I love that. Yes. Cool. Well, Ross, you do some really cool work with Kingo, uh, like which, which, like I said, is a storytelling and screenwriting education site. But you also manage a podcast where you interview different kinds of guests to learn more about storytelling and their types of storytelling. You have a blog. You have social media presence. You consult. Um, you do all these things on your own? Yeah, right now. I mean, I would love to expand. Well, that's what I'm looking to do. Anyway, I'm I'm wow. currently writing a book, and I'm uh, I'm gonna gonna bring this this thing to the next level. But yeah, right now it's just me. That's awesome. Yeah, you're so prolific, especially in the social media space, where you like publish posts about different storywriting tips, and I love it. It's amazing. Every time the posts come out, they're so like helpful. But like, how do you how do you do that? There's so much. Like every day, I think you post something really great. Oh, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, it's probably a product of my procrastination and actually writing, which <laughs> I'm sure is relatable to most people. Um, I I have this, I don't know if you've ever used OneNote, but it's, you know, like a note taking app, kind of like Evernote. And mm -hmm. I have this massive sort of wiki about storytelling where I put basically everything that I learn. And I've been trying to figure out what makes a great story for the last two or three years which has been quite a journey of learning and discovery and trying to work it out. And uh, anyway, this wiki is full of a bunch of different storytelling information. So I kind of dip into it every day and pull out a, a piece of something that I've learned or something that has helped me and try to try to condense it into a little Instagram post, which I post across different social networks too. But yeah, yeah I'm glad people find it helpful. I think it's I, the thing that I like about it too is that it can serve as a bit of motivation and sometimes just something to potentially help a, a current writer's block. So yeah, I'm happy about that. Thank you. That's really cool that you get to kind of be a part of the creative process for not just yourself, but a lot of different people. That must be it's, really vindicating. Yeah, it's very, uh, it, it makes me feel good. Yeah. Uh, I'm also curious because I did a little bit snooping and I saw on LinkedIn that you like started out coding and making web apps and yeah. then you were like doing finance. Like how yeah. did you get into all this and like why and how can you can you walk me through that? Actually, I guess I 
kind of goes into how I got into storytelling. So that's kind of cool. So I went to college for songwriting, actually. Uh, And I considered that a form of storytelling. Um, And it is really interesting trying to figure out what makes a great song. I'm sure you can see a pattern here. I'm I'm pretty Mm -hmm. obsessed with figuring out how things work. And (laughs) the that process of songwriting, it led me to other mediums of storytelling as well. So like you mentioned, I'm a tech guy and I've I've been programming since I was 12. So I've just always been interested in that. And so Mm. I, I went into virtual reality storytelling, which I thought was really interesting, which led me to movies and film and screenwriting and then just storytelling theory more broadly. And I've kind of been trying to figure out what a story what, what the components are of a story across all those different mediums and, and what makes something interesting to the audience and also fulfilling. So it's, it's kind of a bunch of different things you got to do together. But how I got into tech, uh, I think my dad brought home a programming for dummies book because he's a programmer. Mm-hmm. I'm sure just wanted to get me into it. So, but the cool thing is I can, or I try at least to use some of those, some of that skill set to, help with storytelling mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I would really love to create a storytelling app. I'm still playing around with that idea. Like what does that look like? Is that like a assemble stories through like an algorithm? You choose some ingredients and it like pushes out some kind of story for you? It's a really good question because it's like this balance between what a program can do versus what's actually helpful to creatives. And I know mm-hmm. sometimes and I understand this for myself too, when a computer does a bit of the work, it feels like you didn't do it right. So it can be, it can lack that rewarding feeling. And so Mm -hmm. that's a challenge with apps and trying to make it so that you, you overcome that and and don't feel like the computer's doing the work. Um, Like Kingo has a thesaurus, for instance, and that uses a couple of different algorithms to come up with related words. And I find that really helpful as a brainstorming tool and as a Uh, a way to overcome writer's block. So Mm -hmm. just going through the different uh, rabbit holes, I guess you could say, of research with different words and different subjects. And so, I don't know, maybe a storytelling app that went into, that had some techniques to overcome writer's block and some Mm. avenues through which you could explore different topics and, you know, probably some theory too, like you could put in I'm stuck at this part and what do I do kind of thing. Oh, I love that. It's it's like a a smart toolkit. Like Yeah. Yeah, a- you've encountered this like special roadblock that's very specific to this specific type of storytelling and then maybe the app will help you understand what what tools you have to get yourself out of that. Yeah, I should get you on the marketing team. That sounds exactly oh, that's, right. That's awesome. Yeah. It's interesting because I know in the universe of like screenwriting and in Hollywood and stuff, especially with the intersection of tech, there's a lot of thoughts right now about how they can algorithm algorithmatize everything. Yeah. Or I don't know if that's a word, but yeah, like totally. even like trailers, like how do we make it algorithmically so we don't have to like uh, use people? We could just do it through machine learning. But I for now, I think it's okay. Like people have a job. Uh, we don't need to worry about the machine learning taking over quite yet. Right. But the all that to say, like the tech is definitely like in development and it seems to be useful for a lot of different kinds of storytelling. Yeah, it is fascinating. I mean, I, I don't necessarily want to go too heavy into tech, but mm-hmm. there have been some amazing 
I don't know, inventions, if you will, or discoveries in the last couple of years, as far as natural language processing goes and having computers, write, Uh, they can create some amazing stories already. Now they're coherent from a sentence to sentence level, but when you zoom out, they stop, Mm -hmm. they start getting a little more, I don't know. They, they lose their train of thought. It's kind of like a dream. It loses its thought as Mm -hmm. it goes on. Okay. So I, I see you started with music. You had a background in coding because of your father and that influence there. Um, how did it eventually end up specifically with like writing scripts or writing stories? Yeah. So that kind of went through the virtual reality stuff and then to filmmaking. And when I went, when I started looking more into filmmaking and screenwriting, it has this very interesting community or subculture, uh, screenwriting specifically, when you compare it to something like novel writing, which has its own community. But right. Screenwriting is very, very much more formula based, I would say. And Hmm. sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. Uh, But it is very much structured and really focused on structure. And I think one of the reasons for that is that it's a a byproduct of having a limited medium in which to Hmm. tell your story. Whereas if you're telling a story through a book, you've got a bit more, you got a larger medium and you can play around a bit. You can make mistakes. You know, the the reader is willing to go along with you. Whereas on screen, you have an hour and a half, two hours, and it's got to be densely packed. And so knowing how your craft works and how to get across your story quickly and efficiently is incredibly important. So mm-hmm. being a tech guy, that idea was really interesting to me. So hmm. I kind of wanted to go down that road and explore more. And that's that's where this has led me into what makes a great story. So it's, hmm. yeah, that's kind of how I got into yeah. it. Yeah, that's interesting. Why, why was it interesting to you or what was compelling about it that made you just dive deeper? Yeah, I think one of the things is that stories... Okay, there's a book, um, Brian McDonald's book is called Invisible Ink. And Mm -hmm. it is a fantastic metaphor. The concept is that movies and stories of all kinds, they have components that make them good. And if you're just a reader or an audience who hasn't uh, necessarily taught themselves about the storytelling theory or anything like that, it's invisible. And it looks like every story is completely unique and... You can't tell exactly why things affect you emotionally, but Mm -hmm. Brian McDonald says there are key techniques that when you learn them, they become visible and you can see the invisible ink essentially. And the Mm -hmm. story, it's kind of like seeing the matrix. So Uh. I really like this idea of being able to consistently tell a great story. I, I really just for some reason, me personally, I don't like the idea of spending a bunch of time on something and having a chance that it's not good. Hey there, this is Ezra Justin Lee on the Mechanics of Storytelling podcast. We back in just a second, I think. Okay, we are, we are, we will be back in a second. So stay with us. Thank you. Still believing, still believing, yeah. 
still believing. This actually goes into what makes a great story because there's a difference between, well, there's, I'd like to think of it in two components of making the audience what, want to know what's going to happen next. And that's kind of making the story interesting. But mm-hmm. then to your point, there's kind of changing the audience's perspective on themselves or the world, which is making it meaningful. And so a good story has to be both interesting and meaningful. And mm. drama is making a story interesting. And that's kind of the candy. Like you need it to keep going. But theme mm-hmm. and what makes it meaningful is the protein. And if you have just candy with no protein, then you walk away from the story feeling empty. Like it was a good sugar high, but you're not mm-hmm. going to think about that movie in the coming days. Whereas if you find a way to make a story both interesting and meaningful, you can really impact someone's life honestly i mean Mm -hmm. there are times where i walk away from a movie and i'm like this is i feel different like this is amazing and there are only a few movies movies that are like that but when you can do that that is such an amazing feeling for the audience that's right it sounds like from what you're sharing i mean thank you that's that's really cool from a technical perspective but also from like your personal anecdote perspective it's it's really interesting to hear you talk about this just because it sounds like it it is a tool for influencing and helping people feel connected and it's a po- very powerful tool emotional yeah. tool but it's also very technical and so y- your curiosity has kind of uh proceeded from that intersectional place that that's really beautiful thank and, you uh, yeah and you raise a yeah. great point that it's it's meaningful and it's important for changing the audience yeah that's mm. that's a great point well Thanks for sharing that. Maybe we could dive a little bit deeper into what you think makes a great story. I know that's like a really general question uh, because like, where do you start? But maybe you can just give us a little like breadcrumbs um, and like even just a top level view, especially because we don't have that much time. But absolutely. uh, Yeah. What what do you think makes a great story? So it is a broad question. And actually on my podcast, I ask every (laughs) guest, like, what do you think makes a great story? (laughs) And everyone starts with like, well, that's a loaded question. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, it kind of is, but it's also so interesting. So I, I have been thinking about how to teach storytelling for a while now and how to start from scratch. Like somebody who comes up to you and, and knows nothing about it. And I do think you first have to take a step back and look at what are the jobs of a story? What does a story need to accomplish? And in my mind, a story needs to do two things primarily. Make the audience want to know what's going to happen next. And we can call that drama Mm -hmm. and change the audience's perspective. And we can call that theme. So there's also this thing sometimes in the writing community that there are writing rules, right? And then you've probably heard that you have to learn the rules in order to break them kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. I'm not a huge fan of that because I don't think that there are rules. Um, Number one, because if there were rules, then if they were actual rules, you couldn't break them, but clearly you can. So I like (laughs) to change my mindset from rules to tools. And Pixar has this, uh, has that motto, uh, tools, not rules. And Mm -hmm. so when we're thinking about story, we have to take a step back and think, okay, what are the tools that are going to give me a particular effect? And so when you think about what are the effects that a story needs to have, then you can say, okay, what are the tools and techniques that will give me that effect? Mm -hmm. And so it's very much about the concept of having a toolbox. 
you have a storytelling toolbox and as you learn, you add new tools. And the important part is not just knowing your tools and remembering your tools, but it's being able to know when to use your tools. So like I said, a story is driven by both drama and theme, making the audience want to know what's going to happen next and Mm -hmm. making the story meaningful, changing their perspective on something. So all of the tools from my perspective fall under the category of either drama or theme. So let's dive into that a little bit, I guess. In terms of drama, what is it that makes the audience want to know what's going to happen next? Well, for this, uh, I highly advise looking into Paul Galino, who's a teacher at Chapman, a screenwriting teacher. And he his book, uh, The Sequence Approach and also The Science of Screenwriting, have fantastic information about this. But the concept is one of directionality. You want to project into the future. So if you think about it, you might hear writing advice that every character should have a goal and every character should be active. Well, why is that? And again, that's not a rule because there are some great stories that have passive main characters like The Graduate Mm -hmm. and in my uh, view, Good Will Hunting as well. So, but when a character has a strong goal, we're using a tool called dramatic tension in our drama toolbox to make the audience want to know what's going to happen next. And dramatic tension is all about giving a character a goal, giving them stakes or something that they'll lose if they don't get that goal, putting uh, introducing opposition, so making something stand in their way, essentially, adding urgency, mm-hmm. giving them a plan, and giving them motivation. And this whole thing, this this is the base of drama. It's really, if you don't know what, if you're just starting, use dramatic tension. Like it is a thing that will provide massive forward momentum to your story. And what it does is it places a moment in the future for the audience. It projects into the future because we ask this question, will the main character get what they want? That's the question. Mm. And the story is driven by that question. Will the main character get what they want? And that's called the dramatic question. I like this. So let me kind of just recap what you're talking about. It seems like if I could sum up what you're saying, what makes a great story is having a really good question that people are one, interested in, uh, and then two, uh, that would impress them, that would change them perhaps once that's the answer is provided. That's is that is that a right way to kind of understand it in a very yeah, simplistic way? Absolutely. Uh, that's right. Now it gets a little more nuanced because one of the things that I like to do is to help people realize that traditional writing advice gives you tools that work for 80% of stories. And it does. And it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But your story doesn't have to be that way. There are stories that don't use these broad techniques. So for instance, right. what I just introduced is called dramatic tension. 80%, maybe 90% of stories work on that premise, that a character has a strong goal that they're working mm-hmm. toward. But right. there are stories that don't work that way. So In The Graduate, that's based on something called dramatic irony. And dramatic irony is where the audience knows something that one or more characters doesn't know. Basically, the the reason that works is because it projects a moment into the future. Again, that's what drama is about, kind of projecting into the future, creating direction. And it projects this moment into the future where the audience asks, when are the characters going to find out the information that I know? 
Ah, interesting. So if you've ever seen You've Got Mail, you've got Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan's character. And in the beginning, they are anonymously emailing each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, we find out that they're business competitors. But in the very beginning, we know something that neither of them know. So they're kind of pen pals over email, but they're competitors in real life. We know that they are the pen pals they don't know. So we as the audience are projecting into the future saying, okay, when are they going to find out what we already know? And mm-hmm. that's what keeps us mm-hmm. interested in the story. And again, that's just one more tool of projecting into the future. But there are other techniques too, like mystery uh, promises and something called convergence. Like at the beginning of American Beauty, uh, Lester says something like, in in a year's time, I'll be dead, basically. And so that raises yeah. the question, like, how is this going to play out? I know you, I know what's going to happen, but I don't know how it's going to happen. And that's what pushed me forward. That's totally fascinating because I think the point you're making is that mystery, the unknown, the want to answer that question of what happens in the future is really yeah. important in making a story dramatic or uh, interesting to somebody. But it also is even more mysterious or more interesting when you tell them this is going to happen because you then wonder like, well, how is it going to happen? Yeah. And, and it kind of like catches, catches your attention even more. That's, that's really kind of uh, paradoxical, but kind of amazing too. Yes. That is such a great summation of that for sure. Because there are different, so you kind of summed it up uh, fantastically here. What we're talking about with drama is raising a question that the audience desperately wants to know the answer to. And while something like the dramatic question, which is, will the character get what they want? Well, we normally see that on, on the broad level of the story, like from act one to the beginning of act three, and then, well, it brings us to the end of the story as well. We can also have these dramatic questions and these mysteries and dramatic irony on the scene level too, because mm-hmm. each scene itself needs to keep the audience interested. Every page needs to keep the audience mm, interested. Yeah. And so these dramatic tools are not things just that we use, are not tools that we just use for the global story. We also use them in the act, the sequence, and the scene. Mm-hmm. It's all about raising questions that the audience desperately wants to know the answer to. So that's what drama is. It's about maintaining interest, and it is incredibly important. The audience will never learn your theme. They'll never get your message if you don't keep them interested in the current moment. Another head of that. Oh, inject me, shoot me off with the good stuff in front of me. This is the Mechanics of Storytelling podcast, and we'll be back in a moment, so stay with us. You're so good. I was just watching a K-drama, a Korean drama with my wife yesterday, and it was great. There's so much back and forth. There's so much like uh, moments where the character is trying to like get something that he wants or she wants, and they get little parts of it. But at the end of every episode, there's like a cliffhanger, which makes you want to watch the next episode and the next episode. So I think that kind of speaks to your point really brilliantly. But I'm also curious, like you can't just keep presenting conflict after conflict or obstruction after obstruction. You have to kind of give some payoff to the audience for like following this a person's journey, right? It can't just be one or the other. 
you're hundred percent right. And you're leading us excellently into the next piece, which is theme. And theme is the theme is the emotional payoff. And there are dramatic payoffs as well. Like when a character wants something and they figure out a clever way to get it right. Or they use some piece of magic or technology that was foreshadowed in the past and that they cleverly use in a different context. Like that's dramatic payoff and that's cool Mm -hmm. and that's helpful, but we want an emotional payoff in our stories. And this comes down to theme. Now recall that theme is about changing the audience's perspective on either themselves or the world. And really it's about asking and answering this question, how should one live the best life or what is the best way to live? And what John Truby is, what it says is what is right action and what is wrong action. And like morally right. Yes. Morally right. And morally Mm. incorrect. Exactly. And so there are different, I'll also say that there are different gradients of this, I guess, like star Wars has this, uh, this battle between light side and dark side, right? So morality right. and immorality, but it also has this dichotomy between faith and reason or the force and technology and mm. characters, the Jedi and the Sith have chosen the side of faith and the force and someone like Han Solo, for instance, or Grand Moff Tarkin, they have chosen the side of science and technology. And so mm-hmm. that is not, inherently a moral or immoral argument about whether one should use reason or faith, but it is a question of what's the best way to live life. And, you know, someone who people in both sides of uh, that argument would give different arguments for why one should live through faith or why one should live through reason. And it's, you know, the answer might be somewhere in between. It might be somewhere on one side of the spectrum, but it that's one of the points of telling a story is to make that argument through action. And that's mm. the key here too. That argument has to be made through action, not through words. When the characters tell the audience that they are living their life incorrectly, it is <laughs> cringeworthy. Right. No one wants an explanation. They want a story. Exactly. (laughs) They don't want a lecture. Exactly. It's also ineffective, honestly. So if you really do want to change people's worldview and you really do want to deliver a message, perfectly fine. I applaud that. I think that's the right thing to do in storytelling. But you got to be careful about how you do that because if you do it directly, then you're liable to turn the audience off and it will actually make them more likely to keep the position that they have because they feel mm. preached to. And so right. theme is all about how we demonstrate the best way to live through action. All right. Hmm. So I was discussing that we have a we have a storytelling toolbox and our tools are both are either dramatic or thematic. And so what are some of the thematic tools that we can use to express a theme in a story? Well, one of the main ones and perhaps one of the most important ones is change. And we normally hear this through character arcs, right? Mm -hmm. You can have a positive character arc where a character goes from weakness or flaw, moral weakness, to moral strength or uh, a growth experience. They, They learn a lesson. Sure. And through witnessing a character learning a lesson, 
we are not, we are invited to look at ourselves and it's a subtle thing, but if we've connected with the character, then we start to look at ourselves rather than just the mm, character. That's, that's right. One of the powerful things in a character arc, but you can also have like warning tools. So if you have a negative character arc, such as the Godfather or Breaking Bad, we've got a character who goes from either moral goodness or at least moral neutrality to mm-hmm. moral weakness and perhaps immorality. And it's through that, through seeing them punished, you come to the conclusion that I should not live my life that way. That is the incorrect way to live life, which implicitly suggests the correct way to live life. Uh, something else here, though, is that While character change is often put on a pedestal as far as theme goes, there's Mm -hmm. also community change. And you can have a story where a character does not change, but the community around it does. So something has to change. Not everything has to change, but something has to change. I would say ideally, yeah. Ideally, that is, well, let me put it a different way. That is one of the most powerful tools we have to make a story meaningful. So if you want a story to be meaningful, consider how something can change. Now, one of my favorite examples of community change is Paddington Bear, which is, <laughs> I think is great. But it's uh, it really expresses this idea of a traveling angel character, where you have a character who is morally pure that comes into a community and changes that community through their actions. But he doesn't change that much. The community changes more. Exactly, exactly. The character is stays the same. And traveling angels tend to do that because they're already morally pure. They aren't corrupted by a community. There's no need to change. That reminds me of that movie. It stars Charlize uh, Theron. I, I forget what, the, what it's called, but she like plays up this washed up uh, like hot girl who used to be cool and popular in high school and like mildly successful as a professional, but then in her midlife crisis kind of doesn't know what to do. And kind of goes back uh, to her hometown, tries to like connect with her own hot, like her old flames from high school and stuff mm. like that to feel cool. Do, do you remember this movie? No, I don't, I don't. I haven't seen that one. I'm going to spoil it for you. But <laughs> the, the, the point is uh, the whole movie, you're, you're expecting her to change because she's incrementally transforming into this morally better character. She's learning about herself. And at the end, there's like this abrupt turn where she's like, you know what? Nope, I was right the whole time and I'm not going <laughs> to change. So that's, I think that's pretty different. Yeah, like there wasn't that much that changed, but it's also kind of playing with uh, audience expectations. Yes. So uh, I love that you're setting up this general principle, which is like transformation is great, but it's also something that you don't necessarily have to yep. stick to, especially have a if you have a reason for it. Like like in the example of that movie, that's such a great point too, because you can. So at, at toward the end of the movie or around the three quarters mark. Often, again, these are just general guidelines. A character will tend to have a self-revelation, which is a revelation about the right way to live. And what they do is they realize that in order to get the thing that I want, I have to change my worldview, change my perspective on something. And that will do allow you, me to get what I want. Yeah, go do ahead. You believe, do you believe that it has to have this moral dimension specifically? Like it, it almost reads like a fable, right? Mm. Fable these like animal characters there's like uh something that the animal wants and then you know a sequence of events and then finally a climax and a yeah. resolution right and then usually some kind of moral lesson right and then the way you're framing it is uh there's this big moral question of how do how should we live yeah that stories tend to answer is that would you say that's a prerequisite or 
regardless of whether the author is thinking about it intentionally or not, that's something that happens? Like, how do you understand that? That is a great question. So I'll say that it is not a requirement. Uh, it is helpful for delivering a message. If I shouldn't say delivering a message, that uh, for expressing a perspective on life, it's mm-hmm. helpful for that. But it can also be so. F- like I mentioned in that dichotomy or between faith versus reason, and kind yeah. of the pull between those things. I don't think that's inherently moral versus immoral. And there are other things as well, such as this pull between the individual versus the community, which is another broad, uh, I guess, dilemma in storytelling. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we we set up these moral, uh, I should say thematic choices for characters where they have to decide between the individual versus the community, for instance. But mm-hmm. there are stories that go, that express these dilemmas, but they do them in subtle ways. And so you don't feel like it's a fable, for instance. I mean, you you raise a great point. And in those sorts of stories, they do tend to feel a little bit on the nose, like, and the lesson of this story was. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, but you can do one where, like, one of my favorites is Ratatouille. And mm-hmm. Ratatouille is, on the surface, this journey of this rat wanting to chase his dreams and become a chef, right? If you look a little deeper, it looks like this journey, this battle, this dilemma between can anyone cook or can only a select few cook, right? But Mm -hmm. if we take that and look a little bit deeper, what is that question really? It's does power belong in the hands of the few or the many? And that dilemma is something that's at the heart of Lord of the Rings, for instance. Wow. So these dilemma, and then you might see that as a subset of the broader dilemma between individual versus community. Like, is yeah. this an individual thing or do we all have access to it? And, you know, these are dilemmas that can be wrapped in a story world. So, you know, if you were, if you were starting with the theme, should power belong in the hands of the many or the few, you might not get to, uh, French cuisine, but you yeah. can wrap it in a story world and it you don't necessarily understand that that's the lesson you might be getting from the story. Sure. But it does express it. He takes a sip of his drink His drink takes a sip of takes over his brain now his mind is clear of anything says to his dream hey everyone this is still your host Ezra Justin Lee and you are still listening to the mechanics of storytelling podcast hope you're enjoying it so far we will be back in just a second be alone be alone don't dream it's not that I love you Cause I don't It's just that I don't want to Be alone Be alone Ooh. 
I, I'm curious too about like because、uh, we're speaking a little bit generally. I'm curious about the specifics of how you would write a script that kind of encapsulate that kind of influence, where one character influences another, or even a more big picture, like how we. How would you even like flush out and write the specific lines of a script where、um, you just have like a broader story that you've kind of identified the skeleton of? Yeah, could you walk me through that? Like, how do you come up with an idea? Like, how do you actually start writing? Cool.、Uh, a good other question here. A really big, broad question. Let's see. So the it so obviously it depends on what type of story you want to tell, and so the way that I personally start. Is first of all, I preface this by saying that I am a big outliner. I am a big planner, architect, plotter, whatever you want to use, which is stands in contrast to those who are pantsers or discovery writers, intuitive writers. And there's nothing wrong with either of them. It's just they have different techniques. I see. So. What I'm going to go into is sort of an outliner's perspective to a story, and the reason why you don't tend to see a lot of advice on discovery writing approach to a story is because there's no advice to give, right? You just kind of start writing, right? But、uh, before you even get to outlining, yeah, how do you idea? Do you like mine your own life? Do you like meld ideas from watching、mm-hmm. other things? Where? How do you get it? Yeah.、Uh, so I learned this thing in. Uh, in college,、uh, in lyrics class, where our professor said to keep a something he called a seed journal, and it、mm. was a journal where you just jot down everything that's remotely interesting to you. So, if you see if you hear some a line of dialogue you think is interesting while you're watching a movie, just write it down. If you hear somebody on the bus say something, just write it down.、Um, you have this strange idea, or you come across this strange.、Uh, You know, story world like Avatar or Pandora or something. You just write it down, and you don't have to have anything in mind. That's why these kind are called seeds. They're just、mm-hmm. concepts that may come to fruition or they may not. And whenever you want to explore a story idea or start something, you open up your seed journal and you just start reading through it and see if anything inspires you. Now, wow, that's really cool. Yeah, I think it's a very cool tool, especially for those who are more. Uh, discovery inclined. There are more mechanical approaches as well, which make use of this concept of schemas and subverting expectations. So、it's、similar to like fiction, where the universe is already established and the characters are established, but you get to come up with the drama within that universe. Is that kind yeah, of? Yeah,、like、that's that? an interesting point too, for sure. So there, <laughs> that raises a great point that they're kind of like four. So when I come up with a story idea, I like to think of a story as having four pillars: there's story, world, character, theme, and plot.、Mm-hmm. And an idea can stem from any of these four. And when I come up with the idea for an interesting plot, like a plot twist, well, then I've got to think: okay, what's the character that is going to best suit this plot twist, or what's the story world where this plot twist would be most interesting? And vice versa,、mm-hmm. you know. If I start with a story world, and I have this fascinating story world, I might think, okay, what are the occupations within the story world? Okay, well, maybe I'll give my main character one of these interesting occupations.、Mm-hmm. I don't know I how Minority Report started, but I would think that's a very interesting story world. And so, my I would want my main character to be right in the heart of that 
justice system of trying to predict where crime occurs. So that's what I would want their occupation to be. Okay. So it uh, seems like there's this uh, more discovery type of approach. There's a more mechanical approach where think certain aspects of the story are already kind of in place. Yeah. Uh, is that right? And then you kind of proceed from where you, wherever you are? Yeah, exactly. So, and there's a bunch of different techniques too, like where you take a schema or, or you take our expectations, our natural expectations and turn them on our heads. So one of my favorite examples is, you know, uh, that classic idea of there's an asteroid headed towards earth and it's going to kill us all, right? We've seen that movie. But what if you took that idea and twisted the premise a little bit? So the, the premise of the story is now there's an asteroid headed toward earth and it may be humanity's last hope of survival. Mm -hmm. So now you're like, that raises a question, right? Like, okay, how is that possible? <laughs> what, what, how is that possible? Are we all going to come together for the first time to work together? Maybe that's one solution. Maybe the asteroid has something on it that is going to fix a different problem that humanity is having. There are different ways that you can approach that. So I really like the concept of taking a something that we already expect and giving it a little bit of a twist. You might say that Silence of the Lambs also does this. Like, what if an FBI, uh, what if someone, an FBI agent had to work with a serial killer to catch another serial killer? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. that's a bit of a twist. And that's, these are cool story ideas in my mind, at least. Yeah. So part of that is like working off of familiar situations or familiar yes. setups, and then kind of twisting things or uh, diverting things in ways that aren't expected and delightful. Yes. I, I think one example I can think of is uh, with your asteroid example is yeah. uh, Melancholia uh, with, with Kirsten Dunst. And the situation is like, there's one sister and another sister who's Kirsten Dunst. And there's an asteroid that's going to hit Earth. And it's not really about like how, trying to save the Earth. It's about their reactions to it. So that's the, that's the twist. They're not trying to solve the problem. They're reacting yes. to it. And you get to see their technology. And uh, <laughs> that's that interesting, right? But it's it's a kind of play on a familiar situation we've seen play out. Such a great point. And there's another movie that I really like called uh, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World with Steve Carell and Kira Knightley. Uh, and I've seen that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love... Well, okay. First of all, anybody who's on here doesn't want the ending spoiled. Um, so spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I love that at the end, they die. Like the asteroid actually hits Earth and kills everybody. I have seen this. I've, I remember feeling very moved. At the yes, end. me too. Yes. I, I thought that was just perfect because like you said, I haven't seen um, Melancholia, I think you said. I haven't seen that, but I like that idea of putting characters in a stressful or terrible situation and seeing how the relationships interact. And that's a, another way of, of going through a story. That's interesting. Oh, also, I just realized I ruined the movie Melancholia for anyone who's listening. So I'm very sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. They shouldn't yeah. be listening to storytelling podcasts, I guess. Yeah, we'll live. We'll live, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thanks for helping me understand that. And then can you can you walk me through like what you actually do to get that pen to the paper? Yeah, yeah. So I could go on for the, to this topic for hours, as you can tell, I'm sure. But you've got to, after you've determined your story world, your character, your theme, and your plot, you got to determine what are the tools you're going to use to keep the audience interested. So what's the question that's going to drive my story forward? Is it a mystery? Is it dramatic irony? Is it dramatic tension? Am I going to give my character a strong goal? What is the thing that's going to, um, what are the stakes? 
What's the urgency? What's the ticking clock? How am I going to express a theme through this story? How am I going to make it meaningful? Is there going to be character change? Is there going to be community change? Is there a lesson that the characters learn or that the community learns? Is there an influence character? Are there moral decisions that a character needs to make? So I answer mm-hmm. all of these questions up front as far as fleshing out these elements. And then once I do that, then I've got to list what are called the beats of the story. And beats are a pretty ambiguous term when it comes to storytelling and screenwriting, but it essentially just means when something important happens, when something happens. Mm -hmm. And so if you've got a story like Finding Nemo, what are the beats that need to occur? Well, first we need to see that Marlin is attached to Nemo. Then or first thing we need to see is that Marlin has this traumatic experiences in his past. Then we need to see that Marlin's attached to Nemo. Then we need to see, uh, Nemo getting kidnapped. Then we need to see Marlon going after him. Then we need to see these series of events where Marlon starts learning from Dory and learning from his experiences. Then we need to see Marlon catch up with Nemo. Then we need to see this final moral choice. So it depends on what story you're telling as to what the beats are, because certain different character arcs require different beats. They have different things that need to happen in order for the character to realistically and emotionally change. Now, that's going to change whether you have a redemption arc, whether you have a corruption arc, whether you have this positive character change arc, or whether the community changes. And then here's the other thing. This changes depending on your genre. So if you're going to do romance, or you're going to do a thriller, or mystery, or sci-fi, or you're going to do fantasy, beats change based on what the audience wants to see from the genre, because the audience has different expectations of what they want to get out of it. Sci-fi viewers want to see that technology. If you are missing that technology, you are going to upset them. If you have a thriller with no great twist at the end, you are going to upset the audience. So these are things that I have to take into account when listing the beats or the order of things that must happen. The order of revelations is how I like to think of it. What's the information that I need to get across to the audience? What is the most emotionally impactful way of expressing that information to the audience? And and the order of that is incredibly important when it comes to keeping them interested. And then finally, how do you get it onto paper? This is where I personally use something called the snowflake method, which is the idea that you start with a very small summary of the story. And then you start to flesh it out into something that's a couple uh, paragraphs of summary of the story, then a couple pages, then maybe 20 pages, et cetera. And so every time you're adding a little bit more detail. And another way of thinking of this is after I've got the beats or the things that I know that must happen in the story, then each thing that must happen, I ask this question how would I dramatize this beat? Or in other words, how do I express this piece of information through action? So if I know that Marlon has this moral weakness and Marlon has this inability to let go of Nemo, how am I actually going to create and show a situation in which that can be expressed? So it's Mm -hmm. all about determining the information you need to get across to the audience based on the dramatic tools you want to use and the thematic message you want to send, and then figuring out how to express that information through action. 
I see. And once you've ascertained all those things, the dialogue, the lines, they kind of come naturally because you know yes. where you're trying to land. A hundred percent. And this is something that I hundred percent agree with John Truby and Pixar about. Dialogue is wallpaper. Dialogue should not be doing the heavy lifting in a story. It's the situations and the goals and the plans and the indirect strategy to go after it. And it's character action. It's action which moves the story forward. Dialogue is to provide characterization. It can sometimes be used as a method for a character to get what they want as a strategy. It also expresses characters' underlying feelings based on what they're actually thinking, and they wrap what they're saying in what they're actually thinking, and that can create subtext. So really action and expressing information through action is what storytelling is about. Remember, of course, actions speak louder than words. Dialogue is incredibly important, but if you've done everything else correctly, dialogue just is a natural result of it. I love that. I love that. And it's it's a little embarrassing because as I'm writing like my own scripts and stories, I'm realizing that I was just focusing a lot on the dialogue without focusing on these larger elements uh, more intentionally. So this is very actually a little counterintuitive for maybe beginners like me, but I think very useful ultimately and hopefully something that helps result in a more powerful, more moving more cohesive story. I, yeah, I hope so. And if you ever want to brainstorm or anything or go through anything, just uh, message me. Yeah. Hey everyone, this is Ezra Justin Lee, your host, and I'm pretty sure this is the last interlude. Yeah, this is the last interlude. Okay, happy Halloween, everyone. You mentioned your book, uh, and maybe you can introduce the the audience a little bit to your site too. Could you t- could you tell us a little bit about your forthcoming book? What's covered in it? How people can access your site? Stuff like that. Yeah, thank you. Um, so first of all, I'll say Kingo.com. K I I N G O. Two eyes, and with the K. So on the site, we've got uh, a bunch of storytelling tips, a couple of courses, and we do the daily writing tip every day, basically. So if you're learning the craft or you just want a reminder about what um, something that you may have forgotten in the past, that can be helpful. You know, it's across social media as well. On Instagram, it's Kingo Creative. Um, same on Twitter. But we've got all the links and such on on Kingo.com. So as far as the book goes, it's story architecture and it's a storytelling toolbox. It's the methods that one needs to approach storytelling from a tools perspective rather than a rules perspective. So if you have been frustrated with the concept of there being writing rules and people tell you you have to do a story this way, but then other people tell you you can break them, um, this book is probably for you because it's, it's very much, these are the possible patterns and tools and techniques that can be used in a story. And then I try to break down as well, starting from, from nothing to ending with uh, actual dialogue and, and how, to, how to write a scene. So it does oh. go through each of the, each of the processes. Uh, I have one last question. I almost forgot. Yeah. We like to end with like a weird spiritual question. Cool. Uh, here it goes, but no pressure. Uh, so, so, so what do you think is the meaning of life for us? 
Perfect. I and, got this. And, oh yeah. <laughs> do you think it has anything to do with storytelling? Maybe. This is a great, great question. Well, I'll approach. I'll answer this with some storytelling theory here. There, okay. the thing that provides meaning in a story is something called the narrative fallacy. And in the book, uh, I think it's Black Swan. He talks about the narrative fallacy, and it's this concept that we take events and we try to connect them causally. Or in other words, things that happen in our past, we look at them and we ask, how were they connected? Why did one lead to the next? And while it might not always be true that one thing caused the next thing, it is the thing that provides meaning in stories and in life. So if you look back on you know, like Walt Disney's biography, I was reading that. And when he was a a child, he was in a bunch of plays, right? And so you could say that maybe that led him to where he, to his career in storytelling. Or you can look back on, on somebody who was particularly talented or something when they were young and that that led them to something else when they were older. And maybe that's not true, but it does... <laughs> make us feel like there is causality there. And it is the wellspring of narrative. It's the thing that creates meaning in a story. So I really like the idea of setting a personal purpose for one's life and working toward that. So I think the meaning of life is the purpose that one puts on life. The, Hmm. when you take the events of your life and you apply meaning to it, you apply the narrative fallacy and you work toward the thing you want to work toward and put your own story on it. So yes, the meaning of life is story. Yes, I like that. What is it for you specifically? Is it is it that story, telling great stories? Yeah, and more specifically to bring story worlds to life. So mm. it's to help others bring story worlds to life, but that's also something I'm incredibly interested in. I want to allow people to go to places that they couldn't otherwise be. Yeah. So to make imaginary places accessible. That's that's the thing that I love above everything else. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And I can't wait to see what you come up with next. So thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. Thank you, Ezra. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, here we go. So many people think today. First, A million thank yous to our guest today, Ross Hartman. You can pre-order his book now. It's entitled The Structure of Story at kingo.com slash pre-order, or you can find it on Amazon. As for music, so many people, Kevin Sun, Dante, Ezra, which is me, and Robert M. Lee, Mark Dragicevich, and John Ringhofer of Half-Handed Cloud. And lastly, but definitely not least, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining us today. So please leave us a review and rating in iTunes or, you know, wherever you listen to the podcast. And if you want to connect, you can find us at mostpodcast.com or on Instagram, the handle at mostpodcast. So stay safe out there. Have a lovely week. And if you're able, please vote.